Hello, Petey. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble. My culture is based on freedom and self-determination. Freedom is irrelevant. Self-determination is irrelevant. You must comply. That's right, boys. Mondo cool. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. My plans have followed a path unpredicted by the union of NAR and GDI. I want the people of America to be able to work less for the government and more for themselves. Historical Diversions History Over Drinks In this episode, we continue our conversation with Jeff Carver, former marketing director of Maplewood Mall. If you want to get some background for how we got here, check out part one. Without further ado, Jeff Carver. Now, especially like dealing, I shouldn't say dealing with tenants as if they were all bad, but I could imagine that they probably did end up having things like uh, you know, you, whether, I mean, you brought up like thefts and security or even things where, uh, you know, oh, my lights are out again, or, right. you know, things like that. Did that pretty much, uh, did that come to you first? Or was that something where it was like, okay, you got to talk to my assistant first before you go to me. But of course they, they know where, they know where you work and they came to you where, were you kind of essentially like the conduit for a lot of stuff like that? Well, uh, yes and no. And I've got a good, a really good story to illustrate that. Um, so the, the marketing d- director was o- also looked on as being the assistant manager. Okay. Uh, so my manager at Maplewood was, uh, it, it was Gary and Gary was really good. And, uh, but he was an operations guy. That's where he, that was his, um, background so he knew what every light bulb was he knew where every outlet was he knew uh the boiler room inside and out so that was his deal so if there was a problem with the sign with this or that it was gary i had no clue on any of that and didn't really want to um because i figured that's what you have operations guys for so um but every now and then you get stuck in a situation so one day, and I don't remember what time of year it was. I just remember the mall being pretty slow that night. Uh, I was working late. It was like a Thursday night. And Gary was off for the weekend and had gone to his cabin and you just can't get in touch with him. So uh, I was I was there working late. It was about eight o'clock. And at that time, the mall stayed open until 9.30. I was just looking at mall hours lately and it was like, there are a lot less hours than it used to be. I think because of safety and I think because of not being able to find people that that uh, that want to do that job. But uh, so the the head of security comes into my office just as I'm starting to pack stuff up. And he goes, um, hey, Jeff, can you take a look at something? And I just, ugh. What? Put that away, man. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you doing that? Um, he said, uh, 
he said, it's probably nothing. But why don't you just, uh, if you could walk out to the mall with me? And I go, okay. And he was former, I can't remember his name, but he was former military police and stuff like that. So he was kind of all business. He didn't, he wasn't jokey McJokester. He was like, when he wanted you to come out and look at something. So as we're walking out, he's not telling me what we're looking at. And my mind is going, a dead body or whatever. So we get out into the mall and right at the bottom of the escalator is an old beat up suitcase and it's just sitting there. And he goes, what do you think of that? And I go, the suitcase? And he goes, yeah, what are your thoughts? And I said, I don't like the color. It was a light blue. I didn't like light blue. And he looks at me and he's not joking around. And I go, I don't know, what am, what am I looking at? I don't know. And he goes, it's probably nothing. But why would a, why would a full size, kind of halfway beat up suitcase be sitting at the bottom of the escalator. And I'm still not tracking with him. And I'm going, I don't know. Jim, Jim was his name. I don't know, Jim, what, what do you think it is? And he said, I think it's a suitcase, but what if it isn't? I said, what would it be? He said, it could be an explosive device. And this is, and for time frame, this is pre 9-11, yes. like by, by like a decade or so. Um, uh, yeah, by like, uh, yeah, by like eight years, yeah. eight or seven. So, years. I mean, this wasn't necessarily like, you know, the forefront of everyone's mind. You know, you're not ha hearing over the loudspeaker, you know, don't leave your, you know, luggage unattended and things like no, that. No, and, and, you know, we never used that loudspeaker system. Um, the only time we used it is if there was a lost kid. Um, so I, as when I was there, it was only used a couple of times that I remember. Um, so anyway, so Jim goes, um, well, it's probably nothing. And I go, it's probably nothing. And another manager comes out of a store and goes, what are you guys looking at? I said, we're looking at that suitcase. And he goes, do you think something's wrong with it? And Jim goes, well, that's probably nothing. I looked at him and goes, probably nothing. And he goes, so the manager goes, what if it's like a bomb? And Jim and I both looked at each other at the same time and went, there's a perception here. Even if we don't believe it, there's a perception. And the more we stood there, the more we thought about it. So at that time, Maplewood Mall had a police substation. So we called them and uh, they, uh, whoever was there that night, I can't recall, uh, walks over and says, um, "What do you guys? What do you guys need?" And so we're looking at that, and he right away said, "That looks suspicious." And then Jim goes, "That's what I thought." So I I looked at Jim. I go, "That's what I thought too." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, and and we're kind of standing there, and I said the to police, "I said, what do we do?" And he goes, "Well." we should call the fire department. So he called the fire department and had a couple of fire guys come out and they looked at it and they said, this needs to be the, we need to get the, the bomb squad out here. And I, I go, you are kidding me. So I'm alone at the mall in charge when we have a bomb and it's mall hours still, it's later, but so 
security went around and told stores they had to close. So everybody's closing and leaving. So pretty soon nobody's in the mall. Here come the bomb squad guys. And as I remember, the guy who was in charge of the bomb squad was this little guy that looked like, like, like a tough guy. Like you want him to go defuse the bomb because he's going to defuse it. So he goes over and he goes, um, he goes, Is all, are all the walkie-talkies off, radios off, all that phones off, everything off? I go, yeah. He goes, we don't want any signal setting anything off. And I go to him, do you think that's really an explosive device? And he goes, he goes, I don't know, but it's suspicious enough that I think we have to go through procedure. And uh, I go, what would that be? And he said, I think we need to get the robot out. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I can't call Gary. I can't call, any, you know, it's just like, I can't call anybody because I got to be right there. I don't know. So they bring out the robot. So now we're all outside. They bring in the robot. They take the suitcase out to a loading dock. And because the loading docks are all reinforced. So they open it up and it's empty. And I just went, I'm dead. I'm just dead. I was hoping for an explosion because I thought I didn't want a big explosion. I didn't want anybody hurt. I didn't want any damage. I just wanted even a firecracker would have helped. So the bomb squad guy comes up to me and he goes, I know there wasn't anything in there, but that was a good call. You made a good call. This is what we want to be called on. And I went, wow, could you say that to like 30 other people that I'm responsible to? So here's, here's this tape recorder. Speak it into this, and then I could just have this forever. <laughs> so so Gary comes in on Monday morning, and I'm at my desk, and he comes in, he sits down. A lot of times he would come in with a cup of coffee, and he, he sat down, and he goes, so you had an interesting uh, night last week? And I went, oh, Gary, geez, did you pick a bad time to go? And he goes, from what I understand, you did everything you were supposed to do. Everything. And you found my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered why I didn't have that up at the cabin. So uh, I was so relieved um, with all that because I just thought it was in huge trouble. So um, those were things that you really weren't trained for, you weren't prepared for, but there was such good people around you and such great resources that you were never really stuck on your own. You were, you know, you were able to pull on on people who had expertise in these areas you know that really really helped you and and i feel like um i feel like that was uh, the highlight of of uh i knew i could do stuff on my own it was sure great to have people around that knew what they were doing for sure well and especially given how it's like if you assumed something you know could have been could have been a really big deal but the fact that it's like you actually did have you know whether or not you know you felt alone you actually did have people that that at the at the very least you got all right no one's calling me an idiot nobody's <laughs> nobody's right. doing nobody's doing this and that's almost something that like i wonder how many like especially i mean going through like some of the trainings that you went through i wonder how many more of those things are like in manuals that how many times are people actually going to be cracking open manuals like at times like that where it's like, yeah, we need an answer like right now. And how much 
you know, in terms of like memorization that it's like, oh, well, you know, procedure, you know, S2117, you know, something, something says this. And, you know, there's a great documentary on a hospital in during Hurricane Katrina and they had an emergency plan. They were flooding uh, because, you know, a lot of New Orleans was flooding and they were flooding. Their downstairs was flooding. They had no power. That was their emergency power. And they open up the emergency manual and it didn't speak to all about flooding. <laughs> so even when you go through all the process of it, every, it, things still fall through the cracks. You still need people in real time, good people, trained people making good decisions based on the situation that they have there. And I'm not sure if, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a strength that we have now as a sort of as a country, but back then we still did. And uh, you trusted the bomb squad guy, you trusted the cop that stopped by, you trusted the fire guys, you trusted your chief of security. You know, those people you knew were well-trained and had their eye on the ball. And, um, and I think that's why I got through that. Uh, it's because of, of, um, of those people. But it's a good example of, you don't know what your day's gonna be like when you walk into the mall. Uh, people used to go, uh, well, I remember your mom would say, well, what do you got going today? And I go, well, I'll know at 801 or 901 or whenever I get in there because I never knew what my day was going to be like. And I liked it back then. Now I would, I would have a stroke and that would be it. <laughs> but back then it was exciting. You know, you go in, you didn't know you were one phone call away from your day being absolutely obliterated and you had to do something totally different. And and that happened a lot. Even, even like corporate would call and they would say, we need an analysis uh, of any store that opened up in the last two years, how those stores related in sales to stores that ha opened up four years ago and six years ago and eight years ago so we can start seeing a trend. And you would spend the whole day on it. And then your boss is calling saying, where's that report on Christmas sales? I, I couldn't get to it because this boss told me to do it and their boss called me and, and he go, oh, okay. And you had to prioritize as best you could, but then keep people happy. And it was always a juggling event. Every single day was juggling with this company. Now, I'm not sure with other companies because I didn't have a lot, of, a lot of experience, only with a couple other companies. But, uh, you know, your job was so involved that um, you were you were so busy with so many different things that it was you had a cup of coffee on one side of your desk and a diet coke on the other side and you were just trying to keep the energy up until six o'clock till you could go home and and uh, and then that was that but and then tomorrow would be a whole nother day. Um, so uh, at that time, I loved that thing. And I think people who were in that business, and a lot of them came from different walks like radio or television and uh, that, that type of production. And they knew how to manage and manage crises and those kind of things. So um, uh, as far as a job at that time, it was I, I thought it was a really, really good job. 
And you mentioned, uh, this is probably a good segue because you mentioned uh, uh, the bulk of your shopping center experience was with uh, CPI, Mm -hmm. but you essentially had a little bit of a break, not from working, but a break from that company. You ended up leaving uh, Maplewood Mall to go to Rosedale uh, Rosedale Mall, Mm -hmm. which... Uh, you know, to place it in space. I mean, you're talking again, you know, maybe 20 minutes away. Um, How did that come about? Because that isn't something that, you know, especially like in in your experience, you essentially were at Maplewood Mall, Rosedale, and then Maplewood Mall again. What precipitated the, the, uh, you know, that transition to going from a company that, uh, that you knew fairly well and that you had a really good opportunity. Now you're going to somewhere different. Uh, how did that come about? Well, uh, the company wanted, uh, CPI wanted me to start looking at, at other places to go bigger centers. They'd spent a lot of money training me. Uh, they had a lot of money invested in me and they wanted to start using me uh, in places where that investment could pay off. Uh, unfortunately, with our home situation, my my ex-wife had, my wife at that time, she didn't want to move. She wanted to stay here. And the opportunities were very limited in the Twin Cities. Well, Rosedale opened up, and I went through a million interviews to get that job. But uh, there was a chance to uh, eventually... The regional manager who was doing the hiring would become uh, like a VP or something, and they'd be hiring a regional manager, which also included Hawaii, uh, at center in uh, Ala Moana Mall in uh, in Hawaii. So uh, I thought that was a really great opportunity, since uh, because as a regional, I would I would travel, but I would still be able to be here for home base, so I wouldn't have to relocate. So I left uh, Maplewood, and I think they were not happy about it. They saw it as an opportunity for me, but again, they'd invest a lot of money in it. So I went to uh, Rosedale and uh, helped take them through a renovation. And then uh, they were bought out. The management company was bought out um, by... And that was Center Companies, which was Minneapolis-based. And it was bought out by General Growth, based in Iowa. General Growth was used to small centers and, and you know, mom and pops and that kind of stuff. And not real big centers, and especially not fashion centers. And uh, when they came in, and although they were really nice people, um, it was, uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to keep the salary that I had. I would be reduced by quite a bit, uh, if not fired, because I made too much um, with center companies. Um, so I did some good things there, uh, but it, I was only there for a very short time, uh, less than a year, and got recruited back to Maplewood because they had heard I was unhappy and stuff. and and recruited me back, and frankly, I was happy to get back uh, to that company. And really from, it had been about 90, I guess, almost 91, um, to 94 when I left Maplewood. That was my best marketing work I think I did in my whole life. 
And that laid out all the different things that I needed, the skills that I needed, the success, the confidence and all that stuff for the rest of my life. Um, it was those years. Um, I, I, I won uh, a Maxi Award, which was the first Maxi Award won by um, a shopping center owned by corporate property investors. They won a, the year before they had won for their mall security program, but that was a corporate program. This was a mall program. And that program then was featured in two books, one on food courts and then just one on successful shopping center programs. Um, so I was, I was really um, excited about that. And then it became, even after I left, it still kept going and it became the longest running uh, shopping center food court program uh, in the industry from what I understand. Well, let's talk about that particular one because if you grew up in the 90s and even for someone like me where I was where I was pretty young, uh, the program was called Friday Family Fun Night. And like you had said, that program you know outlasted you, but you were the one that developed it. Uh, that was not a, it wasn't a state secret. That was something that was very well advertised and very well known. Uh, tell us about what, uh, what actually, what inspired you to create a program like that and then to go through like all that recognition and, um, well, how do you even implement, you know, programs like that? Well, you know, first of all, my Christmas programs, my family oriented, oriented Christmas programs were always successful. Um, I can tell you an interesting, I don't know if it's interesting, but it is sort of funny. You get so busy towards when you're ready to launch all your Christmas stuff, either the week bef you know, before uh, Thanksgiving or uh, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. I'd always try to do it the week before Thanksgiving to kind of work out the kinks. Uh, so uh, I developed... Um, a program called Bedtime Stories with the Magic Storyteller. And the concept was kids would come with their parents and the kids would have their pajamas on and stuff and we'd serve them cookies and hot chocolate and they'd be read stories. And it was kind of a, it would make a great uh, photo opportunities. It would be a, a good um, active member. Of, we'd be an active member of the community, you know, and you know everybody would feel good and all that. Well, I got a call on the Friday morning from our information booth. Uh, this is the Friday prior to Thanksgiving. And her name was Rose. She was a sweetie. And she, she goes, Jeff, this is Rose. I go, hi, Rose. She goes, so what's this, what's this storyteller thing that's going to happen tonight? I said, Rose, no, 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 it doesn't kick off until next Friday night. And she reads the date, and that's the date. And she goes, I just read, that's the date on the, on the catalog. Because I would always have a page on the catalog, maybe the back page was all my events. And, and I go, well, that can't be right. I reach into my desk, and I look at our catalog, and there's the date. And it's today. So... Um, 
I go, oh, Rose, let me just, uh, let me get something together for you on that. And I'll get it down to you in just a few minutes. And I hang up and I go, uh-oh, I forgot I had an event tonight. So a friend of mine, Rick, uh, who you know, uh, had told me one time, he was from Iowa and he was, we had a couple of friends in common and stuff. And he, and he did a lot of like plays. He was like in theater and sings and all that stuff. And I called up Rick and he answered the phone and he goes, and he goes, uh, he goes, uh, I'd only met him that one time. And I said, say, I got this program, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's, story time with the magic storyteller and I said would you like to be the magic storyteller he goes yeah that's fine when when should we do that and I said tonight he goes what I said I forgot that it's and it's tonight and he goes let me see what I can come up with and I'll call you so about an hour later he calls me and he says yeah I got it covered so he shows up about two hours before and he was Geppetto for something. And he comes into the mall office. He puts on all his makeup. He's got a costume. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so awesome. I said, you look great. And he goes, yeah, this will be fine. He's got some books he's going to read and stuff. So we ended up with about 30 or 40 kids or probably total people. wasn't real big. But I ended up getting some hot chocolate from someplace because I supposed to order it in advance and the people you ordered that stuff through said we got to have 24 hours notice so I went to like a grocery store and got a big huge thing of hot chocolate the only complaint we had about the whole night was the hot chocolate was too hot <laughs> and I thought that's so awesome that just the hot chocolate was too hot that's the only thing the whole event could have fallen on its face and it turned into after a few years that turned into an event that would get 12 to 1500 people. And we had to have wireless mics. We had to have uh, it's a big sound system. We had, it was hu a huge production. Um, so I was really good at that, at tapping into the market to find stuff that they liked for their families. So um, remember how I told you that, uh, uh, and I don't, I don't remember if we were chatting about this before or not, but I like tactics. I like coming up with things that are are cool and then twisting them into a, to fix a problem. So we had a mall meeting one day and uh, the police were there and Gary had pulled everybody in and there was, uh, we were finding some gang activity in the, a lot of showing colors and uh, there'd been some fights and, and, everybody's getting really worried and we were seeing our sales drop uh at the um in the food court because uh on friday nights and saturday nights you know friday nights going out and saturdays weren't it's so much but friday night was kind of like you know mom and dad get home from work hey let's go out for pizza let's go do this um so uh we were seeing our sales really drop and uh it was really a safety issue um whether true or not, it was perceived, which made it true, I guess. And uh, they were going to bring SWAT guys in and kind of clear them out, do all that. And I, I went, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. I was so worried that they were going to 
bring in all this military looking thing and that would for sure scare everybody away and it would be a year before we could get that families back so what I ended up doing was uh, creating a program called Friday Family Fun Night and you got to remember this is like a Wednesday and I was going to kick this program off on Friday we had no budget so I called my rep from the Pioneer Press at home and said I need you to give me space to promote this and and she and I'll make you a sponsor and she goes we'll have to talk to uh, and this was Pat Hagerty who's passed away who's a was a great guy he was really cool and he was head of promotions and, and it would have to go through his budget and I said okay we got to get to him so uh, then I called my uh, designers my publication designers and my graphics people at home and said you got to help me get stuff together for this I called my printer and said I need uh, uh, food court tray inserts and he goes well you know you got to have edible ink and all that there's all these restrictions I go I know but I need them by in two days and he's like Jeff I don't think I can click and I hung up I knew he could do it if I didn't talk to him very long <laughs> so his name was Brian and Brian was and I've lost touch with Brian but Brian was great so uh, I had a great assistant uh, there at that time, um, uh, Lisa. And, uh, uh, and Lisa helped kind of formulate everything. So we put everything together and we hired a band to play called the Teddy Bear Band. That's, I'm not sure how they're doing now. I think I still see them around. But at that time, they were huge. And they'd come with their Zubas on and their T-shirts and stuff. And they would play all these great kids songs. So uh, we created the event. We had the tray inserts. We had, it was promoted, that St. Paul paper. We had uh, the teddy bear band. They were able to, to take the gig. We had all this different stuff. And... We had it ready in two days. So that night, all these gang guys come in. I mean, not all these. There's, you know, maybe seven or eight spread out. And they're, and you could just see how they could create a problem visually. And the teddy bear band starts playing. And these guys were the most shocked guys I've ever seen in my life. They've like, what? What is going on? And then that place starts filling up with little kids, screaming little kids and their parents. And they're all ordering food and stuff. And you just watch those guys leave. And we took back the food court without anybody getting in trouble, without anybody getting arrested, without anybody getting beat up, without any problems. We took back the food court that night. And through the years, we had little things that would pop up. But for the most part, that kept our food court safe on Friday nights. And as well as the mall, because uh, when they couldn't hang out in the food court, there wasn't really much to do. Um, and so it really dropped a lot of the 
this stuff. We we used to say that uh, at Maplewood Mall, fast food was a slow sell, and th that changed that night. And the average ticket uh, just skyrocketed. So uh, the next, I think it was Tuesday, the district manager maybe of, I think it was Arby's, uh, came to my office and said, uh, we've got to talk to you about some theft that's going on. And I go, and I go, okay, I'm just a little curious about that theft. Um, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, the problem with the, the problem that we have here is that the, we're out of napkins and I just ordered like a ton more napkins and now they're gone. And the, Staff says we've used those napkins and uh, there's no more there. Why would we go through so many napkins? And I said, we had a kids event on Friday night. And what happens is, you know, when things, those little uh, containers are full, you grab, and instead of one napkin, you grab like eight or nine. Well, people who have a baby in their hand or they're hurrying for their kids are grabbing handfuls of napkins. So we found out that a lot of other stores were dealing with those same issues. Um, straws, all that kind of stuff. I thought, what a great problem to have. And it allowed right away me to, to go, um, that's because our program is so successful. And that's, it was those kinds of stories that then went uh, really company-wide for a lot of these stores and it became very popular and they were staffing up on Friday nights they were making sure they had enough food for Friday nights they were making sure they they uh, uh, if they had uh, a certain kind of specials or whatever uh, that those were ready to go for Friday nights so that became such a huge program for families um, and it just stopped just right, I think right before the pandemic. Uh, so it probably ran uh, like 15 or 16 years. Which that's for any program, that's a, that's a fairly lengthy, oh, yeah. well, fairly I, lengthy run. I created one of the first um, frequent shopper programs. We called it Shoppertunity. And uh, and it became, I think it was a finalist for Maxi Award one year. Didn't win, but it was a finalist. And and uh, we used the same, you remember the computers were sort of in their infancy, but we used a program to keep track of receipts. You had to spend so much money and then you got awards. And we used a program that kept track of Boeing airline parts is the one that I understand was used. and. And it worked really well. Uh, one thing that didn't work well was uh, sometimes the people who gave us prizes uh, gave us prizes and thought, well, we're just going to give a few of those away. Nobody's going to spend that kind of money and keep the receipt and do all that. Well, they did. And we, sometimes we would put people out of business because they would they would do a, special that it just got overused. So, but but it was still really good. And again, 
<clears throat> excuse me, it was more the things that really worked there were anything with families. And that showed in our research. So I could top to bottom uh, get money for that. It became a company model. A lot of other places did it. Um, but you know, the problem with company models is sometimes then somebody who shouldn't be doing a program like that does a program like that. It doesn't work. And then people go, well, that program doesn't work. And it was like, no, 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 that person should never have done that program. This is the, where the program works because it's the right, it's developed based on a strategy. It's a tactic based on a strategy and a problem for this mall in particular. So that whole company model thing always scared me because I always had to then fight to keep my program going. Even though yours was successful right. in the way that you ran it, yep. somebody else runs it, it doesn't do well, and then it's like, well, we don't think this program's very good. And it's like, no, his program didn't work very good. Right. There's you know a difference between the two things, and I can, especially over time, where it's like, okay, how many times do I have to prove that this is successful when the numbers are there right. sort of thing? Well, they would bring in a folk singer to sing and it would uh or uh, just somebody playing guitar or something or two guys playing guitar doing music from the 80s or whatever and and it would bring in that element and they'd go oh my god it got worse well that's the wrong execution um so but you know overall overall it was that business is a weird business and it's really weird now but back then it was weird and frankly through the most part i didn't even know what i was doing i was reacting um and just following instincts based on what i had to do but again we had good training and uh, the people there were so good were so they were demanding but really 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 good and uh and like I said, that shaped my, my life. Um, those skills I attained, whether it was accounting skills to really manage my own accounting, um, the uh, really being able to understand how to develop a marketing concept, really to, to really know what your customer wants and what they don't want. Um, this, uh, the trend now is like, you're going to, we're going to market like this. Uh, we're, we're going to shove it down your throat and you're going to like it. And if you don't like it, something's wrong with you, not us. And that's one of the bigger things that I've seen that has changed. Uh, I don't certainly market myself like that. If, and as a musician now, if people like what I'm doing, that's great. If they don't like what I'm doing, there's plenty of other options. They don't have to like what I do. But there's enough that like what I do that I can make a living at it. Um, and the, 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 the thing with marketing, and marketing sort of this catch-all term, but it's really understanding what your audience wants and giving them more of that and understanding what they don't want and giving them less of that. Um, and now if you look at marketing that's happening now through that filter, you see it's flipped. They're giving us more of what we don't want or don't need and less of what we do want and do need. Um, and 
So they're going, okay, well, what we have to convince you is that you want it. And I think that's a, a real different um, kind of approach. Well, and especially given how, like, I mean, you're ta- you're not talking like, you know, oh, it's 10 bucks. It's, we're talking millions of dollars worth of, you know, worth of product or services. Uh, I think you had even, uh, you had mentioned to me off air uh, that, you know, yearly budgets of like a million dollars where especially, I mean, we're talking late 80s, early 90s, you know, that could buy a lot. I mean, now a million dollars, you can maybe get like a couple of hash browns and an egg McMuffin and, mm-hmm. you know, with inflation and everything. But I mean, these are, you know, pretty high consequences. Uh, like if something doesn't go well, but when things go well and you can say, oh, right here, 40% increase in business over six months, that's something that, you know, you'd have to practically not be looking at it to, you know, under, not understand that like, oh, wow, this actually, this is the, you know, deciding factor. One thing that uh, we've actually never talked about off air, uh, but in doing my research for this, I was curious. Um, Mall of America opened in 1992 and you were at, uh, you were at Maplewood Mall until um, 1994. How did, I mean, Mall of America wasn't something that propped up, that was propped up overnight. Um, did you guys in, you know, a more regional shopping center, did you take a look at Mall of America and think, oh gosh, what is going to happen when this thing opens up? Or is it something that you figured, well, that's going to be almost more of a tourist attraction versus what we are, where we're the more, you know, reliable, local slash regional sort of thing? That's a really good question. I think, I think looking back uh, most of us, I think uh, the Twin City marketing directors felt like when the Mall of America opens, it's going to be a huge deal, and then everything's going to go back to normal, and it will be mostly tourism. Now we'll lose that tourist business, you know when when you know Aunt Aunt Jenny and Uncle Phil come from North Dakota. They're going to want to go to Mall of America, even though they're only a few blocks away from Maplewood Mall. So we're going to lose those people. <clears throat> but our our regular market, our primary, secondary, tertiary market will stay with us. Uh, initially, you know, I didn't really count on the media kind of covering uh, for Mall of America but I was told by a reporter at one point that they were purposely keeping any types of stories of, of problems there out of the media. And the reason was, was because people didn't want to hear it. People didn't want to know. Kids were getting abducted that were in the hall, that were being abducted through the back hallways they didn't want to know. People didn't want to know that. They wanted to think of their mall as their mall. Uh, I don't know if that, I don't know what those were, but I do know that whenever, at that time, whenever I saw police officers in Mall of America, they were in twos. You didn't see a police officer by himself. Now, I could be wrong about about that. I wasn't out there that much, but... Uh, 
it was impressive. They they had the uh, entertainment complex at that time. What they open with was that uh, it was Camp Snoopy, Camp Snoopy, and then Nickelodeon was that the Nickelodeon next? was I think afterwards, and I'm not even sure what it is now if it's still Nickelodeon, but a it was one of those where it's like, well, it's always Camp Snoopy, but right, it would always be Camp Snoopy to me. <laughs> and I think that's where most of their trouble um, was isolated in. Um, I mean, the the nickname for Camp Snoopy was Camp Shoot Me, <laughs> and and uh, and that's where they had a lot of the issues. And there's still gunplay. They just dealt with that not too long ago something happening in the mall where some people got shot um so uh we all felt it would start to go back and, and we would see a drop in sales initially but it would kind of get back to it and really by that time i was gone so i don't really know kind of what the long-term effects were other than maplewood malls up for sale up for auction Burnsville Center is up for sale. You know, Eden Prairie is looks terrible. That's another home art center. Um, it's just now I think the industry, and I'm no expert on this at all, especially what's happening now. I, I don't really know uh, a lot of it, but it sure seems to me that, especially post-pandemic, it's a lot for people to leave their house. You gotta. So if you run a, a a fashion store in a mall, why do I need to go there? Why do I need to go to the t-shirt shop? Why do I need to go to the men's uh, dress shirt shop? Why do I need to do that when I can just buy it online? So there has to be a reason for you to leave. So I think the repurposing of some of these malls, we were talking about it earlier, but the repurposing might be, you know, things like uh, a pet store, movie theaters, uh, things like that, that, that you know, that you have to go out of your house to go to, rather than um, the things that you can do from home. Um, you know, you're involved with pets and, and things with the animal shelters. Um, you know, to have a, a big pet store in a mall where you can go and, and do all that, that would be really cool. That's 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 tied in with um, the Humane Society or something like that. That would be great, you know. And and uh, because you've got room for them to, to be, you could have a lot of animals, you could do that. Um, and, and I think maybe some are already doing you know, those kind of things. So those are opportunities because you can't, you, you aren't going to buy a dog, uh, you know, on Amazon. You know, you're going to go out and play with that dog and see. Okay, so I think now it's you've, it's what gets you out of the house. I just saw on the news this morning, they were talking about uh, another, like a higher service fee. Like you go to... Uh, you go to a restaurant now. There's a dine-in fee, <laughs> and it might be five twenty-five a person or something. And all that does is that that's going to hit the people who, the servers who get tips. Um, but you've got all these increased costs. They've got to 
they've got to do it someplace or your hamburger is going to be $35. Um, so they're going to, they're going to do that. And I think in the long run, that's going to hurt the restaurant business. Like right now it's like, Oh no, you got to go out there and you got to support your restaurants. You got to do that. You got to get them back on their feet. But at a point people are going to go, I can't afford to do that. I don't want to do it. That experience isn't that great anymore. I'd rather just grill out my backyard and, you know, now we have all the cooking things and we have all the things online that, you know, whether it's with TikTok or Instagram or whatever, they're doing recipes every five minutes. So it's, it, malls are in a, in a tough situation right now. I think unless you're, again, a high end, um, because you can't get, you're not going to get a, a high end suit or something like that on Amazon. You got to go out and get it. So it's, it's, it's what you need to go out to do. You know, if you're, you know, you can watch a ball game on TV, a baseball game, but if, but there's nothing like going to the stadium. Well, that will get you out. Now you might not go five times this season. You might just go to one game because it's so expensive. Um, and plus you can watch the other games at home. But these are things that uh, are going to really impact um the, the bottom lines of these of these companies that if you don't come out if you don't have to come out you're not going to come out you're going to buy them from home you're going to buy them on your computer and you're going to have stuff delivered to your door we'll finish up our series with jeff carver in two weeks with part three hope you all can check it out and thank you again for listening Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Historical Diversions. If you enjoyed this episode, your feedback would be greatly appreciated. Five-star reviews, positive comments, and even just telling your friends about us helps. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But the mothership is historicaldiversions.com. You can find show notes, ways to support, and other fun info on there. Thanks again for listening. This podcast was written and produced by your host through Historical Diversions, LLC. Any other rights belong to their respective owners.